morning, everyone. Thank you once again for allowing me to share the Word of God with you. Uh, but before I commence, um, I want to give you some statistics. Uh, in a recent National Church Life Survey data, it showed that church attendance has been declining for the last four decades. In the 70s, Christians represented over 85% of the population and by 2020, the figure was down to 44%. In the 1970s, 36% of those people attended church at least once a month compared to now 15%. Over the same time, those identifying with having no religion has grown, to, has grown from 6% to 38%. Pretty sad, isn't it? <clears throat> An article from the International Mission Board also quoted the following. We have some of the best culture, beaches, climate, quality of life and standard of living in the world. We also have a massive welfare system which means we have relatively low levels of poverty. Instead of gratitude to God for all this abundance, people simply do not perceive their need for him. It reminds me of Proverbs 30, verse 9, which says, Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? I'm afraid that uh, this is exactly what's uh, where we're at in Australia and probably most of the Western world. Stories told of a couple who visited their pastor of their church and expressed their frustration after spending nearly 10 years of effort with their non-Christian friends, which resulted no commitment to Christ. You see, what these people were looking for was a sure technique to bring people to Jesus. I can tell you, I've got friends that I've been talking to them about Jesus for over 30 years, um, and some of them are relatives, and still no commitment. We'll talk about that later, though. C.S. Lovett, a pastor in the uh, 1950s, published a book, Soul Winning Made Easy. I'm not sure if some of you are old enough to remember that book. Uh, But his technique involved controlling the conversation and ignoring any excuses. He focused on Revelation 3, uh, which was uh, Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts, of your heart, urging sinners to open the door and let him in. And our love it writes, if they can be truly made aware of Christ waiting at the door of their heart, their responsibility becomes clear. And he suggested then placing your hand on the person's shoulder and with a semi-commanding voice, bow your head with me. And he would pray the believer's prayer. And from the corner of his eye, he would check that the person had bowed their head. Now, sometimes there was resistance and uh, most times they would yield and they would make a commitment. Uh, apparently bowing your head first causes terrific psychological pressure. That's what, I'm, that's what he says. 
Now, it's uh, very tempting to look at these uh, silver bullet techniques to, to bring people to Jesus. Uh, if you go to the Kurong Bookshop, shop, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of books in there that, uh, uh, you know, says, oh, this is the best book to get to help uh, win people for Christ. But when we turn to God's word, that's not what we find. It's about loving Jesus, it's about praying, and it's about teaching his word. And just one more reference here. Robert Murray McSheen, who was a minister in the Church of Scotland during the 1830s, that's a long time ago, he often quoted this when preaching about the urgency of a life of faith. He says this, Only an inch of time remains, and then eternal ages roll on forever. An inch in which we may stand and proclaim the way of salvation to a perishing world. And it's within that inch of time, I'm asking you all, that's when we must act. It's about evangelism. And it's a very daunting subject. I trust that these verses in Matthew 13 are going to help us focus on the hope that we can give to a lost world. It starts back in Matthew 11 and verse 12. It is a difficult verse to interpret, but it introduces the big theme that plays out over the next chapters of chapter 11 to 13, which cover the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus. The amplified version says it this way, From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. Now, most commentaries interpret this as saying that while the kingdom is forcefully advancing, the kingdom's enemies are intensifying their opposition. And I think we can see that today. So we have two forces one advancing the kingdom, the other one opposing it. Now, there is advancement as people hear Jesus' message and start to follow him. And on the other hand, there's also opposition. If you read through scripture, obviously you'll remember that some thought that Jesus was a drunkard. Some said he was mad. Some said he was in the league with the devil. The parable of the sower explains this mixed response that Jesus gets everywhere he goes. We can take two points from Matthew 13, 1 to 13 this morning. The first point is the kingdom will grow as we, grow, as we sow God's seed. Let me say that again. The kingdom grows as we sow God's word. And it's clear that the seed is God's word. You need to look at Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 for that one. And where the seed falls is the different responses. I don't think I'm telling you anything new here. Now, you might be aware that this parable also at some stage became known as the parable of the soils because there was a huge emphasis on the different types of ground. Some thought that they were very clever by naming it the parable of the soils. 
I'm telling you, if you go further down and read verse 18, Jesus himself refers to it as parable of the sower. But the work of the Christian in this world is to be like the farmer. It's our job to sow the seed. And we can do that as far and wide as we can. Jesus did this. He proclaimed, taught and preached the kingdom. Jesus taught people about the kingdom as he gathered. You read that in verse 2 of the verses from this morning. And that's what evangelism is. It's declaring that Jesus is Lord. And, you know, we can talk to anybody about Jesus. And maybe we need to look at it this way. I think if my neighbour or a friend of mine does not know Jesus, then it's my responsibility to tell him or her. We need to be proactive. doesn't matter how or where the seed is sown, it's more important that it happens. It's important that they hear it and it's important that we don't give up. And while it's our job to sow the seed, the result is up to God. I guess we need to think of different ways in which our neighbours and friends might respond to God's word. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible I might save some. And Colossians 4.6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, Jesus found common ground with the woman at the well where she made peace with God and then she went and told all her friends. And you know what? It's only going to happen if we all get involved as individuals and giving the people we meet the opportunity and a chance to hear God's word. And that's something that we can all do. The second point, when we sow the seed of God, we can expect both disappointment and a bumper harvest. When you read through the parable, we see both disappointment and abundant harvest. Let's deal with a disappointment first. You know, it's interesting to note that of the four different responses to the seed, three of them bear no lasting fruit. So let's look at them. Verse 4 says, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Which is explained by Jesus in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart This is the seed sown along the path. You'll see the seed is snatched by the evil one. The people hear the word of God, but but their heart is as hard as a stone. The truth doesn't penetrate, and the devil comes and snatches it. They are indifferent. They don't get it. Their heart is hardened so hard nothing penetrates it. I'm not sure if um, you've ever tried to drill through a 
Porcel and Toll have been doing a little bit of that sort of work lately. And uh, Raf, you know how, how thick a tile is, probably about six mil. And you need a really good drill bit and you need a really good drill and it still takes about 10 to 15 minutes to get through it. Or <laughs> well, maybe my drill's not so good, but anyway. But let's face it, it's harder than that. Okay, from verse five. The seed that falls on rocky ground. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. This is explained in verses 20 and 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. These are those who receive the word with great joy, it says, but it's all superficial. When hard times come, they fall away. Now, sometimes it's heated pressure from those around them. It can be even family members. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34 onwards says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You see, remarkably, they receive it with great joy and make that commitment to follow Jesus. But when the heat is on, they fade away. Early promise is not the same as genuine faith. And you know, nobody knows this better than Jesus himself, how people turn away so quickly. The people were happy to follow him and accept the things that Jesus said. One minute they were wanting to, they proclaimed him as the prophet. The next thing they, they tried to make him king by force. And a short time later, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Next, we encounter the thorny ground. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. This is explained in verse 22. The seed, fell among the thorn, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. It's that sinful desire that refuses to go God's way. They receive the word, but they refuse to allow it to control them. So down the line, there is no real fruit. The thorns in questions are the cares of the world which will be different for different ages and different stages of life. There'll be the pressures of exams for the school kids. There'll be pressure at work or the lack of it. There can be pressure of relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, difficulties in a marriage, money struggles, too much, not enough, uncertainties in retirement, sickness or health issues, and the worry list could go on. 
You know, in all these circumstances, though, there's no conscious decision to turn their backs on Jesus. But over the years, Jesus is not at the top of the tree. He's not the biggest priority. And if the cares of the world don't get us, Jesus says that wealth can. We can easily be choked by riches, wanting that just a little bit more or placing our confidence in wealth. Money is very deceitful. It has been quoted that money is like a silk cord. When you can feel the silk cord wrapped around your throat, it feels so lovely, doesn't it? And what you don't realise is that you're about to be strangled. Now, the thing about the thorny ground is that it's hard to tell it apart from the good soil. This is the life where we come to church, get involved in church activities, join the Bible study group. But as time goes by, it becomes evident that no fruit is produced. And for all the gardeners out there, you know very well that when the thorns are young, they're pretty harmless. They're pretty easy to pull out, aren't they? But left unattended, they take hold and become very difficult to get rid of. Sometimes you need a pick to dig them up. The true Christian will tend the garden of their soul, continually pulling out thorns. So as you can see, as we sow the seed, there will be disappointment. So some of you are going to say, boy, that's a pretty pessimistic view, Sam. Where's your faith? Well, I think Jesus knew his subject very well. He knew how to communicate clearly and concisely and he would have had the foresight of knowing the person he was talking to. And yet, he was met with hostility. We must expect disappointment when we share God's word. I don't think it's a lack of faith. It's a reality that comes out of scripture itself. They simply didn't believe him. Some were looking for a sign. And Jesus answered, even if I give you a sign, you won't believe. That's in Mark chapter 8. And Jesus said that his word would create division. Some will accept his word. Others will harden their hearts even more. So committed they are in their rebellion that though seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. That's in verse 13 and that fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah from chapter 6. You see, it happened when Isaiah preached it happened when Jesus preached and it's going to happen when we share the word of God so there will be disappointment so don't be surprised by it but more importantly don't give up don't lose your confidence in Jesus because of it Just keep going because it's normal.
The Apostle Paul never stopped sowing the seed. Even in chains, he kept on sharing the, the gospel. And God remains the one who can empower, through his word, an abundant harvest. So let's look at verse 8 then. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. And Jesus explains this in verse 23. Good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it, produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. The seed is the same. The soil is different. Now, these numbers could represent perhaps those who have turned their life to Jesus even after we, we stumble with our words to share the good news. So we can be confident there, there will be good soil out there. And as we take the message to the world, some people will come to life. It could be someone you've been praying for for many years might be someone you've met recently or it could be someone that you least expect. I've shared with a few of you that um, I was pretty excited after we had a uh, Libraperto gathering a few Christmases ago when my uh, niece told me that she was doing some Bible studies. I'm pretty excited because I think if she does Bible studies she's going to meet Jesus. And uh, we continue to pray for her and her family. But I didn't expect it because she's been brought up in a home of atheists. Don't be surprised what the Holy Spirit can do. And this came about at a gathering when my sister said, said is there anybody that wants to share anything? <laughs> so I'd been doing studies in Revelation with the BSF, the Bible Study Fellowship, so I, uh, I briefly went, well, you can't briefly go through Revelation, <laughs> but, but I shared to them how important Jesus was in Revelation because it's all about Jesus, right? And uh, she might have caught on that. You know, God doesn't need superheroes. God just needs us to talk about him, talk about what God is doing in our life. So let me conclude with this. I, we were, Desi and I, when we were overseas, there was a lot of times where we were uh, sitting and uh, waiting for things like waiting for the bus, waiting for, I don't know, the ferry, waiting for the... But m most of the time I, I sort of noticed this at the airport and uh, it's funny, you, you saw people rushing this way and rushing that way, obviously going to catch their planes or going to their whatever, whatever. And uh, I sat there, on one occasion I sort of looked out and I thought, I just sort of wondered, I looked at all these people and I thought, I wonder how many of these people know Jesus. Do you ever wonder that in a crowd? There was 124,000 people at the MCG yesterday. Do you ever wonder how many of those would be Christians? They might not have all been Collingwood supporters, but... <laughs> but, you know, it makes you think, doesn't it? It's so important. And, you know, like, I, I, I sat there and I looked at these people and I thought, I, 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 I was saddened to think that maybe not too many, 
Not too many would have known Jesus. Now, I don't know, but that, that's just, you know, like you look at the, the crowd at the MCG yesterday, how many of those would have been Christians? We've got to have a heart for the people out there. I was challenged this week during my quiet time, and I'll finish with this. The church, it said that the church has two options. Interesting words they use. Evangelise or fossilise. You see, if we fail to share our faith with those outside the church, we're going to end up in a holding pattern. I don't know if you've ever been on a plane and and they put you in a holding pattern. You you don't go anywhere. You're just going round in circles. They're They're either waiting to land or once they've taken off, they're waiting to get going. I'm not sure which way it is, but... But you get nowhere. But I was encouraged that it said that wherever we are, Whatever we're doing, we can talk to people about Jesus. The early believers reached the world for Christ because they were willing to devote their lives to the cause. Today, we have been called to spread the word of God wherever and whenever we can. So you want to put that that verse up? Andrew, thank you. So I want to challenge you today, as we work together to share God's word, and uh, Josh has made the mention that the elders have embarked on this uh, uh, encouragement from Reach Australia, why don't we all go away this week, read and pray through Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, where in these five verses, Paul mentions six elements of evangelism. The first is to pray for the opportunity to share the gospel, to be watchful and thankful. Pray also for others to share the gospel clearly. Be wise in how we treat outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation be full of grace. So there's a bit of a task for you for, for this week and the coming weeks and the, perhaps the coming months as we embark on, uh, on this um, journey with uh, Reach. Let me leave you with that this morning and let me pray. Father, it is great honour and adoration to stand here before you We acknowledge that uh, you're the only one that anyone comes to know you because you're the only one that draws them to yourself. And Father, this morning we want to pray for those who are not far off and even for those that each of us have perhaps shared your word with them. That, Father, you would open their eyes for them to see Jesus and clear their ears to hear and understand. We pray, Father, that you would give us clarity of speech when we speak your word. 
and we trust that we would reap an abundant harvest for your glory, not for us. It's not about us. It's about you. Part us this morning with your blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.